all this stuff is what mature Christianity looks like. You know, if we're not continuing to move forward to the place that we're understanding the principles of the kingdom, then we're never going to experience the glory of the kingdom, and we're never going to demonstrate the kingdom to people that you can't give it if you don't know it, if you don't have it. So, that being said, let me just do a quick review. Two weeks ago, we talked about authority and, and how Jesus said that his disciples... Now, I'm making a connection that's not explicit in the scriptures, but I believe that it's a defensible connection. He sent out the 12, he sent out the... Excuse me, he sent out the 70, and he gave them authority. He gave them authority over the demons, and then he said over all the demons... And then he said over all the power of the demons. He gave them authority over all sicknesses and all diseases. And as you go, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? So he sent them out to preach the gospel of the kingdom. He gave them the authority to demonstrate, you have a demon, that's not the kingdom. Cast out that devil. The demon has certain powers. Their powers were greater. They had power over all the power. Every sickness that came to them... They had the power. They had the authority is the better answer. They had the authority exercised in faith above those things. And then Jesus, in the Great Commission, sent us out to make disciples. I think that a disciple looks like the object of their disciple. That's Jesus for us. We look. He said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then you see, he says, he's given us to, we can drink deadly poison. It won't harm us. We heal the sick, we'll speak in other tongues. He, he describes that what he gave to those first ones is what he's empowered through authority and faith to us and that we should walk that way. So that was kind of two weeks ago. Then last week, we talked more specifically about why don't we see that authority manifesting itself in the church itself? That we have... Anybody in here in the last five years not been sick? Everybody been sick? I'm the only one. There you go. Okay. Okay. You've not been sick? Praise God. Okay, so there's a couple. The point is I don't think we're supposed to be sick. And when, when, we, when we get sick, it's probably because, like, Sherry, it was so good, your teaching, because... When we need to repent, it's because we've been deceived. We don't want to believe lies. We don't want to do things. We are a new creature in Christ, dragging this old dead flesh around with us, battling the enemy through our flesh. And, but but our, our new man isn't, isn't wanting to engage in any of that stuff. But sometimes we do. So when, when we find out that, that God would grant us repentance for what we've done, then we should be joyful, not downtrodden because we made a mistake or we did something wrong. Otherwise, that's how we're going to live, and we won't be a light to the world. So then why doesn't that authority manifest itself? And then over the course of the last year, we've been asking that question. It's like, what is it, Lord? And he's just bang, 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 bang. He's been showing us, and what's cool is I think we're just about ready because today we started, if you remember, we started with holiness. And and today... From the scriptures, we circle right back to holiness. So I think we're there. I think we're done. I mean, you know, there's still lots I don't understand, but I think it's time to get going. All right. So lack of holiness was one. We learned um, that authority is empowered by faith, right, or limited by the littleness of faith. And we saw that in the scriptures. Like, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? 
He said, the littleness of your faith. Did they have authority? They did. Jesus gave it to them. Was it only authority up to this rank of demon? No, it was authority over all the demons and all the power of the demons. Yet, they had the authority, but they couldn't cast the demon out. The problem was that that authority is, is um, engaged through faith, and when their faith was lacking, the authority didn't matter anymore. So that could be a second reason why when we're praying for one another in the church, we're praying for ourselves to not be sick, that, that maybe our faith is, is not holding up the authority that we've been given, or maybe we walk not in holiness, and then we don't have grace, and then grace doesn't man- without grace you can't manifest <coughs> gifts, char- charismata, and then there's the power's just not there because of a lack of grace. The grace being there because of a lack of uh, the lack of grace being the case because of a lack of holiness. And then we started to talk about God's discipline to the church and and um, judgment leading to corrective discipline. And we use some scriptures like "Do not judge." that you won't be judged, and to the measure that you judge someone, you will be judged. So we can see that God judges us, not judged unto damnation, right, eternal hell, but judged by our sin of judging. James says that when we complain against one another, we do that unto God's judgment. It says that when we swear oaths, and Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said that that's evil, said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond that is of evil, right? And it says if we swear oaths, that we will come under God's judgment. We saw in Jesus' letters to the churches, the the church at Thyatira, where Jesus speaks about this woman. She's a real woman in that church named Jezebel. And Jezebel is is creating a following within the church, and she's leading them to sexual immorality and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. He was gracious with her, convicted her, gave her time to repent, but she didn't want to repent. And he said that he would, I think he said he would lay her on a bed of sickness and that her children or her disciples, those people that were following her, would get um, great tribulation and that he would kill them with pestilence. You see, that's Jesus' discipline... (laughs) to his body, to the church, right, unto repentance. And, and there's an increasing measure. Then the last one we looked at is familiar to us. We looked at 1 Corinthians 11, where the church at Corinth was taking of the body and the blood of the Lord, their communion service, in an unworthy manner. And because they had not judged themselves as unworthy to take of the body and the blood of the Lord, or the, yeah, the body and the blood of the Lord, Jesus judged them. And they became under discipline from his judgment. And it says, because of this, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you have died. Sleep. There's a progression, weakness, sickness, sleep. You see the progression in different places. Okay? So now we're seeing that, that maybe one of the reasons why we're sick is because we've come under God's judgment. And we've not repented. Sherry had to repent from fear. It wasn't like, you know, she was doing what we would consider some some horrible, immoral thing. The devil had lied to her, had lied to her mother. And she had come into agreement with those lies. And then 
the consequence of agreeing with the devil comes onto her body. Or, or it was the actual judgment of the Lord. Discipline of the Lord is probably a better word. You learn something else interesting in 1 Corinthians 11, and that is the purpose, well, a purpose. I think they dovetail together because we're going to find another purpose today. But the purpose that Paul stated there was so that you wouldn't fall under the condemnation of the world. So somebody starts to, to have a sin problem. They, they take of the body and the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner. So they didn't judge themselves, so, so God judges them, and they're disciplined. And they got this weakness. They don't, where did this come from? Man, I'm tired all the time. I don't know exactly what it looked like. But they continued not to repent. So God had to you know, make their time out longer. They got sick. They continued not to repent. So God took them home. And, and we think, wow, God would kill his own children? You're darn straight. Because if they continued in that sin, ultimately, they would deny faith and they would not be his children anymore. It was an act of his love to bring them home so that they wouldn't be judged condemned like the world, which is the eternal wrath of God. Okay? All right. So then today, look some more at this discipline, what our response to the discipline should be, and just a general peek at how we should live our lives. And I want you to see it. I want you to see kind of the end from the beginning. So look for things like straight paths, the word straight paths, make straight, straight in general, the, the, the answer to the question is holiness, righteousness, and repentance. Holiness, righteousness, and repentance. And, and the question is, you could say, is why am I sick? Holiness, righteousness, repentance. That's the context of this conversation. Okay? All right. So um, in the conversation about godly discipline... Hebrews chapter 12 has got a bunch of information in there. And let's go there, uh, starting in verse 4. And, and li- as, you, as you listen, I'll try to remember to um, exaggerate my voice a little bit because you're going to hear from Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to take you to Proverbs and some other places, and I want you to hear these things in multiple places in the Scripture so that we can get a really good perspective on what the Lord's trying to teach us, okay? All right, so now, a little Hebrews context. The, 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 the letter to the Hebrews that, you know, that we have in our Bibles, Hebrews, you have these, these Jewish Christians, right? They were Jews. Um, they heard the gospel. They responded to the gospel. They got born again. Now they're Christians, but they're Jewish. And... You know, we, we, not us, but maybe us, who knows. But, you know, the church tells people, oh, Jesus loves you. He just wants to bless you and have this great, abundant, wonderful life. They have no context what any of that means. And they, they, they come in and they get saved if they do. And it doesn't look like that. You, you, you have to die to live in the kingdom, right? So these, these Jewish Christians are experiencing this. Their life just got ten times worse. They're experiencing all this persecution and whatnot, and they're actually considering whether they want to continue to follow Jesus. Maybe we'll just go back and follow Moses. As bad as that could be, it was better than this, right? Until you die, and then it's not better because you haven't been saved. So that's the context of the, the whole letter of Hebrews. Now, chapter 12, starting in verse 4. 
You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Right? We're adopted children. As he receives us, we get, a, we get I don't know, just, you know, hey, welcome to the family. Come on over here. Whack, whack, whack. Oh, my right butt cheek hurts. Ah, well, you have fear. Sorry. But he scourges us. I mean, that's like, that's a pretty strong discipline word, isn't it? A scourging. That's the word they use for what happened to Jesus with the cat of nine tails. He was scourged with the cat of nine tails. And, and the reason that this is important for you to think in these terms, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son or daughter whom he receives, is because you're going to hear in a minute that we might share in his holiness. If you think holiness is not that big a deal because we're under grace and we're not under law and Jesus loves us and all that kind of stuff, your picture of your faith is messed up. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. Now, that, I, I don't understand those words. They're tough. It's for discipline that you endure. So I, I, I looked to the commentaries. They didn't help me much. So I started looking at other translations. And let me read it to you out of the New King James. It says, if you endure chastening or discipline, God deals with you as with sons. I don't know if that's a better interpretation or a worse interpretation, but I can understand that one, right? If we reject his discipline, then we're rejecting him as father, right? But if we will endure his discipline, understanding that it's because he loves us, because if we don't share in his holiness, ultimately we're not going to run the race to the end, then we really are his children. It's relational. Okay, so let's try that that way, and then I'll go on. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not... (laughs) Nutch. (laughs) Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? I didn't study that. It just popped out to me this morning, but there's something in there. If we will not be subject to the Father of our Spirit, there's no life for us. We can't be saved and say, well, I'm glad that I believe in Jesus, but I'm not, I'm not into that holiness thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to live my life how I want to. There is no live there. There's a, there's a live now, but Jesus said, hey, listen, if, if you want to have life eternal, you can't have this one. You don't get to decide this one if you want that one. If you want that one, you've got to die to this one. And I think the same thought is in that verse right there. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. That would be our earthly fathers. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. There's the answer to the question why is it for all this discipline? Because why do you discipline your own children? 
right? Because they get out of line. You could call it your rules or you could call it holiness. You're talking the same language that the Bible is talking. You spank your kid because he gets out of line. God disciplines us because we get out of line. Why do you tell your kid, hey, listen, you can't play in the street? You don't want him to get run over by a car. Why do you say, fear nothing, be anxious for nothing? Why does he say that? Because it's going to bring on you bad things for your protection and safety. It's, it's an act of love that we would understand his requirement for holiness. It's an act of love when we discipline our own children. It's because we love them and we want them to be build good character and mature well so that they can offer something to the world and not just be a drag on society. So that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems, to be, seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there's another point that we have to be willing to be trained by his discipline. If we're trained by it and he says, no, 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 this, isn't, this is wrong, repent, and we're trained, we actually do repent, then that's going to bring out the peaceful fruit of righteousness from our lives. Therefore, strengthen and... The alternative translation that they show in the New American Standard is make straight. That's important to, to hear because what's coming later here. Therefore, strengthen or make straight the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. That's a tough one to um, understand. And it's taken me a long time to come up with an opinion. Here's my opinion. Strengthen or make straight the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. He's describing body parts that are under discipline. You got a sideways path. You got out from underneath where God wanted you to be. He's disciplining you. Your hands are weak and your knees are feeble, which that one strikes me you know, pretty close to home. Your, your hands are weak and knees are feeble. Make straight paths is Repent. Turn, turn back to the straight path of walking with Jesus, keeping your eyes fixed on him. Walk back and find that straight path so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint rather than healed. See, out of joint seems like a further escalation of discipline, right? You're, you're, you're already experiencing discipline. It's uncomfortable. It's sorrowful, right? So repent so that not only will it not be made worse, it can be healed. Okay. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, or could be translated holiness. Some translations don't use sanctification. They use the word holiness. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay? So why does he discipline us? So that we might share his holiness. If we don't have his holiness, we won't get to see him. I think that's the big see him. That's the eternal see him. If we reject holiness, then we've probably rejected faith, which means we're not going to enter into his rest, as you see earlier in Hebrews. Per peace, pursue peace with all men, and or pursue peace with all men, pursue the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, so remember earlier it talked about um, in verse 6, for those whom he, the Lord loves, he disciplines, he scourges every son whom he receives. Remember, that's quoted out of Proverbs chapter 3. It's in um, 
verse 11 and 12, but let me go back to famous verse 5 and read forward to give you some context. It's beautiful. Okay, ready? Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Um, I skipped 9 and 10 and then 11 and 12. Ready? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You ready? It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. The straight path, right? Trust in the Lord. And something happens. I'm sorry I keep referencing you, but it's such a good example. Something happens and you take on fear. Fear says, I don't trust you, God. What if I die? Then you come to heaven. You win either way, right? So, so you take on fear. and So you, you cease to acknowledge the Lord. But if you don't take on fear, you acknowledge the Lord. That's the fear of the Lord is to say, nope, what you say, that's where my head's at. I agree with you. I don't agree with fear. You know, you could play that out a thousand different ways. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, not your own understanding, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you're not God. It's probably not going to make sense to you. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The, the straight path doesn't get discipline. The straight path is healing to your bones and refreshment to your body or healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. And then you hear those two verses. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. See, the discipline of the Lord is, this, is the context of a bunch of what we're hearing in these verses right here. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. He repute, re, man, my tongue. He reproves and disciplines so that we may share in his holiness, so that we stay the straight path, because walking in holiness, walking the straight path, it's two ways to say the same thing, our healing to our bodies and refreshment to our bones. Why is the church sick? Because we don't walk the straight path. The straight path is like, you know, Jesus says narrow is the way. I think it's a pretty skinny path, you know. Okay. Uh, if you continue into Proverbs chapter 4, it almost gets better. Remember, the way, the path, right? That's the metaphor for today, I guess. But the path, this is uh, verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. That light shines brighter and brighter until the full day. R- remember when I said, um, I think I'm going to say it again here later, but last week I said that you know we really need to care about whether we're sick or not. One reason, because Jesus paid a high price that we might be well, you know, sozo well, the, the big well, everything, our, our spirit, our soul, and our body, our sins forgiven, all that stuff, right? So one, we don't want to diminish Jesus' work like he wasted being scourged because we don't care, we're just going to walk outside of holiness. It's important that we do that, right, because of what he did for us, to walk in the fullness of our privilege. The second reason was that... Hmm, one second ago, it was in my brain. Still not there. Oh, a sick church is a rotten witness to the world, right? Hey, guess what Jesus did for everybody? This, this, and this. Well, what about you this and them that and them that? Yeah, I don't have an answer for that. We're all sick and miserable and tormented and we're sad and depressed. But Jesus didn't buy it. He bought it all for we don't have to be that way. Well, then how come you're that way? Because we walked the wrong path. 
right? When we walk that right path, it says that our light shines brighter and brighter until the full day. It is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. As we repent, as we, as we shed anything that's not holy, the light gets better and better and better. And we're very attractive to the world. And people come to want to know Jesus because his church is so glorious. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So there's a massive contrast there. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. The way of the wicked is like darkness. Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Important word right there, your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Health. Physical health to the body. Now listen. He said to keep this. My, my son, give attention to my words. I think it's actually wisdom. It's God. But I think God's speaking through this person called wisdom right now. Wisdom says this, okay? It says to, to keep, incline your ear to his sayings. Give attention to his words. Don't let them depart from your sight. Always keep your eyes focused on his words. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over or guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So we have to be so careful, the words we listen to, the places we set our eyes, because if we're not careful, our heart will become polluted. And, and the, the outpouring of our heart will be darkness and not light. So, so we have to be very careful to guard with diligence our hearts. Okay. Um, so these words, he says, attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. These words are what mark the righteous path. When he says, don't turn to the left or don't turn to the right, his words tell you what the path is. I don't know if you've heard, I'm sure you probably have. Remember the, the story of the missionaries in Ecuador, I think it is, and, and they got murdered, you know? by the local people, right? Well, something was supposed to happen at the Freedom Center one Sunday, and it got the people just backed out, and somehow they got the son. Remember, what was the name of that movie? Tip of the Spear or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Tip of the Spear. The son that wrote the book, you know, about his dad who was murdered by these guys, and this little Ecuadorian native guy who we call father, because in their culture, when that guy killed the missionary, the missionary he became responsible for his son the missionary's son. So this guy became this guy's father. Anyway, they translated the Bible into this you know, native jungle language, and the way that the, uh, the old guy, he didn't speak English, it was translated, but the way he described the Bible is markings on a path. That now we have the markings to the path that we're supposed to follow through the scriptures, and it's exactly, exactly what Proverbs is saying. That the, the words that we're supposed to pay attention to, that we're supposed to bind to our heart, that we're supposed to guard our heart, is the scripture. It marks the path of righteousness. They must be stored or kept in the, kept in the midst of our heart, midst of our heart. Why? At least one reason is they are life and health. And the heart must be guarded with all diligence because out of it flow life or not life, depending on you know what, what we put in our hearts. And... That's not just an Old Testament thing. That's a God thing. Multiple places in the New Testament. I picked this one. Mark seven twenty one through 23. For from within, out of the heart of men, this is Jesus speaking, 
proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, I add, the heart, and defile the man. Remember I talked to you about being ministers earlier today? And that we would minister from a place of maturity? You know, and somebody might have this really horrible husband, but they're a Christian. And that we would not minister to them, you should just get yourself a better husband, right? Because something, we have allowed our sight to go somewhere other than that path that guides to righteousness. And we've taken into our heart some defilement, and now it's finding its way out in the way we counsel somebody in a situation that's really, really a big deal to the Lord. So if we're careful with what we feed ourselves, then the heart will be healthy. What comes out of the mouth will be light and not darkness. And then we can spread the kingdom the way that we've been called to spread the kingdom. Okay. Uh, Continuing now, verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet. And all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Let your gaze be fixed straight. Don't gaze on something that's going to cause you to walk away from that path of righteousness. Don't do it. Watch the path of your feet. Okay, let me just take you quickly to just a picture of the kingdom, just fast, right? This is kind of where I touch on some of Gail's scriptures. Romans chapter 14, 17 through 19. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's what we're called to preach, the the, the, the The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God. The way you get it is you respond to the king, Jesus, right? But the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. That's what John the Baptist said. That's the way Jesus said. That's what he sent him out. He didn't say, go preach my gospel. He didn't say, preach the gospel of salvation. He said, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Remember back in Hebrews 12, you know, kind of the basis is Hebrews 12 for today. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Peace and holiness. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, holiness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see the parallels? The kingdom is just like what we're seeing in Hebrews 12. And it's kind of your participation is in it or not based upon whether we choose Holiness. John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of all time. None, none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus himself said that. There was none greater. No man born of woman was greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as he was doing his ministry that he was called for, he was prophesied at least 700 years before. He started in, the, in Isaiah prophesied about him, right? Okay, John the Baptist preaching. He says, now, uh, excuse me, the Bible says, now in those days, John the Baptist, I'm in Matthew 3, 1 through 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came 
preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah, the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. How did they make ready the way of the Lord? John the Baptist ministry. A baptism of repentance, that's exactly right. How did Sherry get herself back into that narrow, right, straight path? Repentance. How does anybody who takes the body and the blood of the Lord in an unworthy manner end up free of sickness, weakness? You know, if you're dead, I don't think there's a way to repent from dead, but um, they repent. It's the way that you get into the kingdom when you're out of the kingdom. It's the way that you get right when you're not right. You confess and you repent. John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. If the Lord is going to come and you're going to follow him, you're going to have to make right that path. And the way you do that is you repent unto holiness. Okay. Um, I already mentioned this. Last week I said sickness in the church is important for a couple of reasons. One, we live far below our kingdom privilege. And two, a sick church is a poor city on a hill witness to the world. Again, go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Shall we not? much rather be subject. Who are we going to be subject to? Are we going to be subject to our flesh? Are we going to be subject to the suggestions of the enemy? Are we going to be subject to the world? You decided not to be, right? The world tells you how to dial yourself up so you're acceptable to them. Who are we going to be subject to? Well, Hebrews 12 says that we should be subject to the Father of spirits, to God, so that we can live. Real life live, right? You might have had some life, you know, figure out how to make the makeup, make you look just like the world wants you to look. But you would have stopped working on what mattered. Yeah. And then you get to be, well, you know, I'm not saying all you guys are going to, you know, age so poorly as me. But sooner or later, you can't put enough makeup on to make that look like it did when you were 18. You got no place to hang your hat now. And if you develop that inner beauty, that's what keeps people. The most beautiful jerk in the world isn't going to keep a person in their life for very long because the beauty doesn't matter at all when the jerk starts coming out. But the person who's godly gorgeous on the inside lasts forever, and people don't care what the outside looks like when the inside is that beautiful. Jesus himself, you read in Isaiah 53, it's like he, he wasn't the Jesus you see in the movies or the paintings. He doesn't have a square chin, you know, and... and you know, muscly abs and, yeah, whatever. He, he was a guy that if there was 50 people that you saw that day, you might remember 49 of them, but you wouldn't remember him unless you interacted with him, in which case you couldn't forget him because he purposely he had to come like King Saul is the example of the opposite of that. No inside character, but he was taller than everybody else. Remember in the Old Testament? It's a bunny trail, but the point is that that that's what matters. That's what matters. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? See that in the light of this scripture. Remember, who are you going to be subject to? Is the world going to tell you how you're supposed to be? Is the devil? Is your flesh? Or 
Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way, in a way, in a lot of other places, is a path. That's kind of what we're talking about today. There is a way or a path which seems right to a man, to a man, but its end is the way or the path of death. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is death. So who should we be subject to? The one that leads to live or the one that leads to dead? We should be subject to the one who, that leads to live. This life... I mean, you know, when I'm fasting, you could probably actually see my breath right now. But as if it were cold, you know, and you make a outside, it's there and it's gone. That's what the Bible describes this life as in comparison to eternity. So you can have the world tell you you're a rock star until, you know, you stop being a rock star in their eyes. Or they change the standard and you don't, you know, you're still wearing bell bottoms. Or, or you can be subject to God and you can live past the the breath into eternity with God, into the, into, the, into the life that you don't even have enough imagination to imagine its greatness. So then my question to us is, do we know the right path? Do we? You don't answer it out loud. If we say we do, then my next question is, how do you know? How do you know you're walking the right path? Because you have the scriptures. It's not because I tell you. It's not because the TV preacher tells you. It's not because your husband tells you, your wife tells you, the smartest guy in your class tells you. You know the path because you have the scriptures. Now, let me tell you, if you don't look at the scriptures, you do not know the path. And you'll be the person who's going to tell that lady with a bad husband to divorce him. Because you'll be on the wrong path. Because you won't know the truth. And the truth isn't going to make them free and it's not going to make you free. This is the answer to the question right there. It's in the scriptures. That's, that's what we have. Somebody say, well, I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need the Bible. It's like, man, you could have a million spirits if you don't look at the Bible. And one of them probably isn't the Holy Spirit, but they're all going to pretend they are. And unless you've got this to test what's in here, you're like a ship out in the middle of the ocean on a windy day with no rudder. So then let's just say we do know it. Do we follow it? Because if you keep my word, you will be my disciples. You will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But if you don't keep his word, knowing it doesn't buy you anything. Jesus said about the two guys that build their houses. Remember one on the rock and one on the sand? Right? He said that the storm came and hit both of those houses. And, and this house came to great destruction, and this house stood the storm. What was the difference? You remember what he said? The foundation, but what was the difference? What was actually the foundation? The difference, Jesus said, was the one whose house came to ruin did not do what Jesus said, and the one that house was on the rock did what Jesus said. He said, the one who heard these words of mine but did not do them, his house was like a house that was built on sand. The one who heard these words of mine and did them is like the one whose house. So the difference isn't knowing the words. The difference is doing the words. Because you can know the words and do other things. Guess what path you're on? But if you know the words, which you must, because you can't identify the path without the words, if you know the words and you do the words, then you share in his holiness and all the benefits of his holiness. Look at this, James 5, 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? 
that word for sick, the Greek word, is also translated as weak. Remember 1 Corinthians 11? Some of you are weak and some of you are sick. Now James is saying, is anyone among you sick or weak? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Guess what that word restore is? Sozo. Oh, that's a big one. That's like shalom, sozo. It's the whole package, right? Continuing. Will restore or sozo the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray one another for one another so that you may be healed. You see, the bigger context is you can come to the elder of the church and he can pray for you. And if you're just sick, however you got that way, I don't know. It messes with my theology a little bit. But if you're just sick, I'll pray for you and you'll be well. But if you're not just sick, but you're under the judgment of God, which led to the discipline of God, there's no prayer that's going to get you right because you have to repent. So here we are, the church, and, and we get sicknesses and feeble needs and all that kind of stuff. And we wonder, I'm praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. How come they don't get healed? What the heck? Because they're probably not just sick. They're probably being disciplined so that they might share in God's holiness. And there needs to be some confession and some repentance so that then the prayer will heal them. I still think I went less than the testimonies today, but I'm almost done. We need to ask ourselves, why am I sick? And we need to not take on, like, condemnation in the context of the question, right? Because we might have been deceived. Sherry's a wonderful Christian lady. The devil is good at what he does. Yeah. And there could be circumstances. Who knows? So let's not be about hating ourselves, condemning, and now I'm preaching your sermon, but the, the issue is to be like Jesus, right? However we get there, the, 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 the objective is, the, is what we're worried about, not whether or not we're a bad guy, right? Your born-again part's not a bad guy. That old part is only a bad guy, but we don't identify with that part. Okay, we need to ask ourselves, why am I sick? Let me just say some things. God loves the church, he loves the church. He doesn't hate the church. He's not, he's not like, oh, this church just, it's the crappiest church ever. You know, that was Israel. They got that. You know, I'm going to kill them all and start over again. That's not the church. God loves the church. He loves us. We need to know that he loves us. He loves us so much that his son, Jesus, died that we might be the church. He loves us. Say it. He loves me. He loves me. Say, oh, how he loves. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had a little Kim Walker moment there. Um, he loves the church. God loves the church. But he has declared, you, you know, us, the church, shall be holy for I am holy. He's made a declaration. Guess what? We shall be holy for he is holy. How do we know that's true? Because he's going to see that it happens. That we're sanctified, that we're set apart. How does he do it? He disciplines us. How do you do it with your kids? You discipline them. It's a good practice. So God loves the church. He's declared that the church shall be holy for he is holy. He disciplines us because that's what good fathers do for, not to, for, big difference. That's what good fathers do for their children. You discipline your children not for you, not to them. You do it for them. Do you understand? Okay. I might be too long because you're getting a little glossy-eyed on me. 
It's what a good dad does. He disciplines us so that we may share his holiness because he knows, hear this, he knows that without holiness, we will not see him. It should be our desire to live holy, righteous lives. When we waver, the Father's judgment and his discipline is there for our well-being. All of us, for the sake of what is right, need to choose the right or the righteous path. When we wander, the answer is confession and repentance. And, you know, sometimes you may not even know what you need to confess. I'm not, is that me going tappy, tappy, tappy like that? Yeah. That's the cable. Yeah, I don't think I'm clipped on in the back. Sometimes we might not even know why it is that we're being disciplined. So what should we do? You just ask, right? And, and sometimes your ask might, you know, it might be asking and continuing to ask. It might be humbling yourself by fasting and praying, and, and, and the Lord will respond. It might be that you get someone to pray with you when you ask, and they get a word of knowledge. Ah, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. So that you can confess, you can repent, and you can be healed. Made well, whole, sozoed, sozoed. Confession and repentance. So let's have eyes to see and ears to hear and start applying these principles. We're being taught principles. What Sherry taught us today is principle, that we start applying these principles that we might live up to our Christ-purchased privilege and that our witness would be truly as a city on a hill, that all people be drawn to the glory of God's kingdom and to its king. And I've mentioned this to you, but we've been talking about, you know, is it time to start the healing meetings? And, and Jeff uh, Fay has been like, yeah, six months ago. You know, I mean, he's, he's like the racehorse in the gates and then he's waiting to... <laughs> but I haven't felt like it yet. But look what happened. God told me, Pat, I'm not holding anything back from you. It's your affections that restrain you. He's not restraining me. I'm restraining me because I was off the path in certain areas of my life. I I had unholy affections that I had to repent from. That's where it started. And we've been through maybe close to a year, I don't know, 8, 10, 9, 12 months. Hebrews chapter 12, that we might share in his holiness. He circled us right back to the beginning. I think we're ready. I really do. I mean, when when Dave Carlton told me he had cancer, I couldn't get the words out of my mouth fast enough. You need to come here and get healed. Okay, let me just... Oh, nope, that's it. That's all of it. The iPad is done.